All right. Let's get rolling. I know whatever Paul has to say is more interesting than anything I have to say, but I just need you all to bear with me for a little bit. So we're going to pick up where we left off last week as we kind of get towards the end of this series, the alternate reality. And the premise of this is starting to see things through the lens of which God said. The lens of which we see the world that we are in but not of. And the one thing that keeps coming to me by the Holy Spirit is that we have a carnal church. Not carnal necessarily immoral, but we're so focused on this earth. Everything we do from the moment of, of like that we're born is all about feed me, clothe me, take care of me. We're crying out to God, I want more, I want more. We've made it all about us. And we never ask the question, God, what can we do? What more can we bring? Well, how can I crucify my flesh more? How can I enter more into your presence, spend more time with you? We never ask those questions. We just want God to you know, tip the pitcher over and pour himself out on us. We don't have to do anything. We don't want to be subject to nothing. God, just do you. And here we've got to recognize of the different things that God has said about us. Because the only thing that matters on this earth is what God has said when it comes to us about who we are and who we are in relationship to him. Because what he says we are, that's what matters. It doesn't matter what the world says we are. It doesn't matter what people think of us. Do you know that? It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It only matters what he thinks. What does he think of us? Well, he sees us through what Jesus has done. When you're born again, full of the Holy Spirit, he looks at us through the lens of what has taken place, of what he's called us to be redeemed and set free. And with that, we begin to realize that inside of this new covenant that we are walking in, unlike the old covenant, the new covenant is based off of what Jesus has done. And that new covenant is, if you will, a bill of rights that you and I have as we walk on this earth, knowing that we are his imager, his representative, his ambassador on this earth. And we have this, these rights that we have to begin to dig into. And with that, it's like, okay, God, well, what does this mean? Well, I've talked about this, that we are saved from death. That's wonderful. Do you realize that if all we had is what we see and right now, then you should be totally tore up when somebody dies. But in 1 Peter, it talks about that because of the resurrection of Jesus and the promise that God has made, we put our faith and our hope in God. Man, if this is all the world had to offer, that would be terrible. You wouldn't want to waste this life. But there's so much more. We see that we are saved from his wrath, from the wrath that is going to be poured out upon this world, that he has now set us free from that, that we've been set free from sin. We're no longer in bondage. We're no longer in change. We no longer have to do those things. Sure, we choose to do them. We don't have to. We've been set free from that. We do not live in fear. What should we fear? What, what, I mean, outside of death, what is there? You know why people are afraid of cancer? It leads to death. Ultimately, we're afraid of death. You know what's funny? Maybe you know this. But the number one fear in the world is not death. It's number two. Number one is public speaking. Which means that you would rather be in the casket than performing the service. Isn't that weird? <laughs> You're doing all right, brother. I mean, but think about that. What do we fear? Nothing. 
Nothing. We've got to walk in the fullness of God. And then with the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, something happened that had never happened in the history of mankind. We now have access to God. They didn't have access. They could bring a sacrifice, but it was always through a mediator. But it says now we enter through the veil, that veil being the flesh of Jesus. And we enter boldly into the throne room, the Holy of Holies, and we find grace and mercy when we need it. We go through, we have access to Him, we have peace with God. You don't go to the King unless He calls you. I mean, everything has changed. The New Testament, grace versus works. Grace is throughout the entirety of the Old Testament, but God's grace and, and the works that it talks about isn't go to church, be baptized, all of that. It's talking about that old covenant. The Mosaic covenant hinged upon the things that you did. The new covenant hinges upon the things that Jesus has done. And everything promised of God is a guarantee that if we choose to walk in it. I gave you this example. The nation of Israel was given a promised land. What should they fear when they get there? Nothing. God said, I can have it. Ten of them didn't like that. You see them giants? Yeah, I see them, but God said, yeah, but they big. Yeah, I know they're big, but God said, do you remember in Egypt? You remember that lake we walked through? That was pretty sweet. Pretty sure God can handle this. Yeah, but they big. Can you imagine? God promised it to them. They didn't take it, and they've never taken it in the entirety because they got comfortable. I was talking to somebody this week. You know the number one musician that gets comfortable earliest? Guitar players. They're the worst. I'm not saying that because I play guitar. I was a drummer first. I call myself a drummer that picked up the guitar one day. But what happens with the guitar players is they get to the point that they can play some songs and they stop progressing. That's what believers do. We get to the point where we can talk the talk a little bit and we stop progressing. You see, there should never be a bad day for you as a born-again, spirit-filled believer because we are redeemed. God's greatest gift to us is His grace. It's where we find our salvation and we walk in these things. And there is nothing more important than God's salvation. What He has given to us, that free gift. I mean, I know we take it for granted. We will never wrap our heads around the, the, the change that took place. But imagine, if you will, that everywhere you walk was an opportunity for you to become unclean. And if you became unclean, you had to isolate for 14 days. Stay at home. Stay safe. That's a joke. Stay with me. And they would have to sacrifice, and they would have to mikvah, and they'd have to do all these other things. And suddenly, Jesus come, makes the ultimate sacrifice, and be like, Wait a minute, I ain't got to do that no more. It's not what's on the outside that makes me dirty. It's what's on the inside. It changes. Imagine the celebration. But we take it for granted. You see, the number one thing that above everything is salvation. No question about it. But the number two, the number two thing that you should celebrate is the giving of the Holy Spirit. Let's go to John chapter 14. You see, this is where we're turning our attention to now, is the person of the Holy Spirit. We're going to start in John chapter 14. Jesus says something so profound here that it would have blown the mind of what He said. Verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and He will give you another helper, that He may abide with you forever. Okay, who is Jesus talking about? The Spirit of truth. Okay, Now, as he said, I'm going to ask the Father and he will give you another helper. So has that happened? 
Is there anything that Jesus promised that we cannot take to the bank? No. No. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. And He says this and He's like, wait a minute. He will come to us. The Holy Spirit will come to us. Who had the Holy Spirit? Well, in the Old Testament, it was a handful of guys. And you're telling me, it's to us? And then after Jesus was resurrected, he's sitting in a locked room with them. And in John chapter 20, verse 21, it says, So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And he said this, and he breathed on them, and he said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Did they receive him? Of course they did. Now we're going to address that weird thing where Jesus got confused. Because here, he blew on them, received the Holy Spirit. Aren't you glad we don't have to do that no more? Isn't that great? But then he tells them to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. Jesus must have been having a rough morning, okay? We'll come back to that. Of course they received the Holy Spirit. He would not have done this otherwise. He would not have acted this out. As I told you, this kind of goes back to the Old Testament, Ezekiel 37. But look at Ephesians chapter 3. So if the Holy Spirit was given, then the Holy Spirit has been given. And if you are born again, then you have the Spirit. Look at Ephesians 3. In Him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession, to the praise of His glory. When did that happen? After you heard the word of truth. What is that? It's the gospel of your salvation. Callie, what is the gospel? I'm just kidding. I wouldn't put you on the spot like that. If you come to our foundations class, I asked her that every time for months. And she got it right about 70% of the time. She's really knocking it out of the park. What is the gospel? That Jesus died. That he was buried. That he was resurrected. 1 Corinthians 15. What did that signify? He said, I have yearned. To have this Passover with you. That this bread is my body. It's broken for you. This blood, this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you. And when we receive that, when we hear the word of truth, having believed it, we become full of the Holy Spirit. That's powerful, y'all. This is the second most important thing that happens in a believer's life. And most of us read it, but don't believe it. We say it, but it's like, that's for those other folks because of the way that we act. Look at John chapter 16 real quick. I read this last week. Verse 5. But now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? Because I, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Now why would they be sad? Because he's leaving. He tells them, I'm leaving. I'm going to where I came from. Did they fully comprehend all of those things? I don't have any idea. But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Here it goes. You ready? It is to your advantage that I go away. What? It's to your advantage. In other words, I've been with you. You've seen the miracles. You've seen everything happen. But it's better for you that I leave. Can you imagine how they felt? No! No, no, no! Don't leave! I love it when us arrogant American believers, like, boy, if I'd been there at the time of Christ, 
I'd have recognized him. I'd have followed him. I'd have never sinned. I'd have got it right. Jesus has been asking me questions. No, we'd have done what everybody else did. We'd have rejected him. We would have forgot. We would have done stupid stuff. We'd have cut some dude's ear off. When Jesus said, hey, I'm going to die tomorrow. No, you're not. He said, it's to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Who will? Jesus will. And when he comes, who's he? It's the Holy Spirit. He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. And of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Wait a minute, that's a cliffhanger. I have a whole lot more to say. And you'd be sitting there like, then maybe you shouldn't go. But you can't bear them now. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. We'll talk about that later. Or He will not speak on His own authority. But whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will tell you things to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take of what is Mine and declare to you. All things that the Father has are Mine. Therefore, I said that He will take of Mine and declare it to you. You see, the Holy Spirit is going. And Jesus thought it was so crucial. He said, it's better for you. How many of you guys, I mean, I'm telling you, if Jesus walked in today, you'd be like, this is awesome. This is all, I never want to be apart from him. I want to be with him everywhere he goes. I'll do anything that he wants. Let me tell you something. If Jesus started rooting for the Mizzou Tigers, I would too. But we know, because he is the son of God, that that would never happen. Amen. Come on, y'all. But the thing is, is like, he's sitting there telling them, like, it's better for you. Can you imagine? They're like, no, it can't be better. What do you mean you're leaving? No, you can't leave. Don't go. So is it better for us? Of course it is. Do we realize that? You see, I told you guys last week as we began to look at what the Holy Spirit did, not just in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, the whole Holy Spirit moved the prophets to speak. Okay, no problem. We expect that. He would come upon them. They would speak. They would declare the oracles of God. He also, the Holy Spirit, came upon the judges that were raised up to deliver Israel. Okay, that one makes sense to me. But then we also saw where the Holy Spirit equipped the craftsmen to design and to build the things of the temple. You're like, whoa. I don't have to drill 14 holes to find a stud. Right, Derek? I mean, imagine. In other words, how big of a part did the Holy Spirit have to play in the Old Testament? Pretty big part. And we talk about Him, but we don't recognize Him as God because we talk Him as He's some sort of force. You know, if you're in a big service and you feel something, that's probably the Holy Spirit. He might knock you down. He might make you shake. He might make you dance. Do a little clogging, right, Jim? You just never know. You never know what happens when you catch the Holy Ghost. You tuck in your shirt, you dance the night away. If you didn't see the video, y'all are missing out on this joke so much. Anyway, you see, the thing is, is like, to us as a born-again believer, since Jesus said it is to our advantage, who should be more important to us? Uh-oh. Y'all don't want to answer that one, do you? It's to our advantage. Of course Jesus is important, but they are God. We separate them, we distinguish them, but they are God. 
And if we have received the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit should be the crux of our lives. We should be led. We should be guided. We should read. We should learn. We should grow. We should pray in the Spirit. Again, all of that stuff we'll get to. But let me ask you this. And here's a question. When I ask a question, there are things that we think we know that we assume we know, but we've never thought through for one moment to actually engage in this and be like, okay, maybe I don't know, is how important was the Holy Spirit to the life and the ministry of Jesus himself? You ever think about that? And we always start, where do we start? It's baptism. Let me tell you something. That's not where it starts. That's about the middle. See, well, I want to take you on a little bit of a journey today. Is let's just see what the scriptures say. Let's look at this. Because if the Holy Spirit was important to Jesus, how much more should he be to us? So let's go first and foremost. First Peter chapter 1 is where we're going to start. The Holy Spirit predicted Jesus coming through the prophet. That one, duh, we know, right? First Peter chapter 1 verse 10 of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time that the Spirit of Christ, who was in them, where was he? He was in them, was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them, who's them? The prophets. It was revealed that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Man, there's a whole lot of Holy Spirit right there, isn't it? The Spirit of Christ in the prophets as they sought out what manner and what time the Messiah would come and the things that would come. And they realized that this was not to themselves as it was revealed. It was to us, those who were to come. And then you have heard those and they've been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by what? The Holy Spirit. Kind of important. Okay, but you knew that one. No problem, right? We all know that. The prophets cannot speak unless they're led by the Spirit. No problem. But what about this? The Spirit of God also filled the forerunner of Jesus. Started with the guy who's announcing him. Look at Luke chapter 1 real quick. Luke chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 15. I'm referring to John the Baptist. And this is how you know this verse is proof that it is not John the Episcopalian or John the Presbyterian. Here, let me show you why. Verse 15, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit. See? Right there. It's a joke. Try to keep up. Even from his mother's womb, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before them in spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Who is he talking to? He's talking to the mother, John the Baptist. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit. They weren't ready to have a child. Didn't know they could have a child. And here we go. He will be filled. Was John the Baptist filled with the Holy Spirit? I don't know. Does God lie? Do we ever see the moment of which... Uh, he has this encounter with God and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. No, it says actually it's going to be from his mother's womb. So was he filled with the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Did he have a job to do? How important was John's job to the forerunning of Jesus? Pretty crucial. Okay, that's fine. That's John. We, we can accept that one. But also John's mom and dad. Look at Luke chapter 1 verse 39. 
It says, Now Mary arose in those days and went to the hill country with haste, the city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So we got baby, we got mama, jump over to verse 67. Now his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied. So what connection do they have to Jesus? Their family. And one of them, only one, has a job to fulfill. And that's John. So, so far, no question, that it was the Holy Spirit who led the prophets to declare Jesus is coming and all the things associated with that. And then the three people closely connected to the family of Jesus are filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, let's keep going. How about the conception of Jesus? Feels weird to say it that way. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. So he's just going to lay this out. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, y'all know what that means, right? Okay. She was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take uh, to you marry your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So how did Jesus come to this earth? Through the Holy Spirit. Luke 1 verse 35, and the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. You see, when Jesus made a declaration in John chapter 8, it doesn't make sense unless you think about it in light of this. Verse 23, and he said to them, You are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Why can he say that? He's flesh and bone on this earth. Because his conception was not of human means. It was by the power of of the Holy Spirit so so far before Jesus's birth we see it before Jesus's birth we see his family and those associated with him full of the Holy Spirit and we see that the conception thereof is of the Holy Spirit you guys picking up on a trend here let's go on here's the one that we all know when Jesus was baptized in Luke chapter 3 verse 21 when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus was also baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was open, and the Holy Spirit de- descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came, upon, uh, came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, and you I am well pleased. So, when did the Holy Spirit come upon Jesus? In that moment. It says, like a dove, and I know I've said this before. I'm so glad we've gotten away from some of the big flags and stuff because I will never forget walking into an old Assemblies of God church with the Holy Spirit coming down and it was on fire. And I'm like, I don't think that's how that worked. See, the Holy Spirit came upon him. Prior to this moment, there's never a recorded miracle of Jesus. Not one. He was just like every other guy, except for everything that predated his birth, that we know of. Okay? From this moment on, the Holy Spirit seems to engage and take control. Because the next thing that happens shortly thereafter is he's led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. Look at Luke chapter 4. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, 
returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. So, was he full of the Holy Spirit? Does it seem to imply that that was an important milestone? Because as far as we know, nothing supernatural, if you will, took place prior to that. You know what probably happened? He followed his dad around and helped him. That's generally what took place. But when he was baptized, the Holy Spirit comes upon him. And immediately after, it says he returned from the Jordan and he's full of the Holy Spirit and he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And what was he led to? Be tempted. Oh, to be led by the Holy Spirit. And we know how important that was. Because his ministry every aspect of it was not accomplished because he was the son of God every scrap of it was through the power of the Holy Spirit he overcomes this temptation through the power of the Holy Spirit and the knowing of God's word that's how he he engages here and as soon as he leaves the temptation look what it says Luke chapter 4 verse 14 then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee and news of him went out through all the surrounding region and he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all now imagine 40 days we know he was fasting he was hungry it said he was full of the Holy Spirit he just went through a temptation and when he left he returned in the power of the Spirit and that leads to the very next thing that he does because he goes into the synagogue and he makes a declaration. Look at verse 16. So he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. And watch what he says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Is that a true statement? Could anybody else at that point make that statement? Right? But we know he did had he said that prior to his baptism, could he have said that? Conceivably, no. Seems to make a big deal. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He, the Father, has anointed me, set me apart to preach the gospel to the poor. It's the gospel, Calvin. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind and set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And how can he do all of that? Because the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. It seems to be that the Holy Spirit is a big part of Jesus' ministry. Acts chapter 10, verse 36, you know all of these. The word which God has sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed through all Judea and began from Galilee and after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with them. How did he do it? He was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. Did Jesus do it because he was the Son of God? No. I know that feels weird, doesn't it? It just doesn't seem right. You see, every miracle that Jesus did was through the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, he gets in an argument with the Pharisees. 
I was telling everybody on Wednesday night this, that at any point in time you see somebody arguing with the Pharisees, the Pharisees got a problem about something, you should really read that closely because there's usually a reason for it. Matthew chapter 12, verse 25, he's been arguing with the Pharisees and said Jesus knew their thoughts and said every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by who? The Spirit of God. Surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. How did he do it? The Spirit of God. You see, this is the part that we forget. The part that we don't think about. Even Jesus' death involved the Holy Spirit. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? How did He offer Himself? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. What part of Jesus' life thus far has not involved the Holy Spirit? None. The part we know is when Jesus was resurrected. Well, that one, sure. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So, how was He resurrected? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, parts of this we know, no problem. We can accept that. No problem. But most of the time, what we think we know and what we actually know don't line up. Because what we think we know is we've got the life and ministry of Jesus all figured out. And if I could just try to be a good person and a witness here and there, and I can do that. But every facet of Jesus' life was through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's that Holy Spirit that He said, it's for your benefit. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which He promised before through His prophets in the Holy Scripture concerning His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to what? The Spirit of holiness. By the resurrection from the dead. He was declared to be the Son of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 3, verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. How is He made alive? By the Holy Spirit. What part of Jesus' life was not impacted by the Holy Spirit? And if you didn't even realize this, now we're talking about his flesh and blood life on this earth. From the moment of conception to the moment of his death. And he was raised by the power of the Holy Spirit. But it didn't even stop there. Look at Acts chapter 1. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Until the day in which he was taken up. After he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles. 
whom he had chosen. That means even the resurrected Messiah, after he was on this earth, through the Holy Spirit, gave commandments to his disciples. What part of Jesus' life was not impacted by the power of the Holy Spirit? What part of Jesus' ministry was not fulfilled without the power of the Holy Spirit? And we wonder why he said it's for your benefit. Because now we don't chase around one guy full of the Holy Spirit. Now, because he died, he was buried, he was resurrected, we are set free from sin. We are now the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus our Lord. And he sent his Spirit who indwells in us. And now the Holy Spirit works through his disciples. The things we know and the things that we think we know don't often line up. Because... If it took the Holy Spirit for Jesus to do what He did, then why do we try to do it without Him? It took a yielding. Do you realize that Jesus didn't... The Holy Spirit didn't drag Him into the wilderness. You say it led Him into the wilderness. Oh, to be led. John chapter 16, verse 5 says, But now I go away to Him who sent me. And none of you ask me to where are you going. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Did he do it? If the Holy Spirit was important to Jesus, then how much more you and I? You see, this is where we fail. We failed in the fact that we have turned the Holy Spirit, the person, the third person of the Trinity into God, or uh, that is God, away from that is to some force, some power, some goosebumps, some feeling, whatever. But this is God. And like Jesus being on the earth, Jesus said, yeah, that's great, I'm glad I'm here, I'm glad you got to see me, Thomas, I'm glad you got to feel the holes. But it's better for those who don't. But I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. How much more do you and I need Him? We have to have Him. We have to look at Him as if He's God. We have to recognize Him for who He is. We have to receive Him just like we do anything else. But what can we do as a result of that? What happens to a yielded life? Just following where He leads and doing what He says what happens to that person? What do we look to as an example? The life of Jesus. You see, church, we fail. And we fail the test because we get so caught up. Our eyes are so focused on the things of this world. We can't get away from it. There's a whole reality out there. Because it's like a light flips on and suddenly I'm seeing things for what they are. I'm seeing things who they are. When I'm, I'm dealing in conflict with an individual, you know that happens from time to time. I begin to ask myself this question. What is the spirit behind this? You had an incredible testimony of, of an example of that with that restaurant in Lincoln. And I'm going to butcher this story, but I'm going to tell it anyway. But I mean, she was just cleaning and just doing her job. Being led by the Holy Spirit. You know, that's a good thing to do. And as she's going about doing it, she could sense there was just demonic power over this area. And, and she just did what every good Christian would do. She began to bird sage and, and 
Good, you caught that. Thank you. I was worried about that one. Everybody's like, okay, burn sage. No, she just took authority over it. What she didn't know is there was tension in that family and that business was about to dissolve. And from that point forward, the spirit behind it had been rebuked, had no authority, had no power, had no control. What happens when we're led by the spirit? What happens when we live our lives to be led by the Spirit? Is it possible we could do the same thing that Jesus did? And maybe, just maybe, greater works than these because He went to His Father. You see, we're going to transition. We're going to be talking about the person of the Holy Spirit. Because the reality that we say or we see controls us until the power of the Holy Spirit takes over. And when He takes over, everything changes. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Holy Spirit, have Your way. Have Your way. Have Your way. Have Your way in our hearts. Have Your way in our lives. There's some here that are hurting. There's some here There's bitterness. There's rejection. There's hurt. If you allow the Holy Spirit, He'll he'll take all of that away. You don't have to live like that. If you yield to Him, all of that will go. Yeah, so when you get focused on the things of this earth and the things that people say and the things that people do and they hurt and, and you're, it's not right and you've been wrong and just picture this, if you will, imagine what Jesus went through. Imagine a man that even if he wasn't the Son of God, all he did was help those people around him and what did thanks did he get for that? Oh, he got crucified. He got beaten, he got bloodied, he got his beard ripped out. Stephen, a man just serving the Lord, stoned for the privilege of serving God. His final words, don't hold this sin against him. If you allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life, that bitterness will turn to joy. You'll find love and a peace that you have never experienced. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just lift up our hands to Him. Father, we thank You. For whoever that is, Lord, we just receive it. We receive it, Lord. We receive it, Lord. Thank You. Thank You. Holy Spirit, lead and guide us. Move in our lives. Transform us. Make us new each and every day. Father, that we would yield our will to You. Father, that we would yield our spirit to You. Father, that we would yield our heart to You. And all of these things will be burned out because the only thing that can stand is what You will allow. Like a roaring lion, He comes. You choose to be devoured. But You have the power inside of You to overcome, to stand up, to rebuke, and say no more. But it is your choice. You can wallow in self-pity or you can rise up to the child of God that He's created you to be. It is your choice. Thank you, Jesus.
You are so good, Lord. You are so good. We bow our hearts before you, Father. Humbled to be your servant. To do your will, to do your plan. Humbled before you, God. Fill us up, Lord. Lord, I thank you that you're pouring your spirit out right now. That you're pouring your spirit out right now. That you're pouring your spirit out right now. We thank you, Lord. We thank you. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Before we close, does anybody need prayer for anything? I just feel like there's an anointing here or whatever you want to call it. I feel like there's an opportunity here. If you want prayer for anything, just raise your hand. The people around you, we're going to pray together. I don't care what it is. Whether you're sick, whatever it is. There's something. Anybody. If not, we're going to move on. Jim. Can I get some people to come pray for Jim? Back in the back. Can we get some people around her? Just pray for her. It's not me. You as well. Can we get some people over here? Just real quick. We're just going to do business with the Holy Spirit. Get a few up here with the king clogger. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, do your thing. Move in our lives. Thank you, Jesus, for healing, for wholeness. Thank you, Jesus, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus, for completeness, wholeness, healing. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Wholeness. 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 The power of the Holy Spirit. Wholeness, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Father. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The sorrow may last for a night, but the joy comes in the morning. Thank you, Jesus. 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 You know, the Bible says that to be being filled with the Holy Spirit, to be being filled, to be constantly filled up. Guys, this is an everyday experience. Every morning when we wake up, we should be the Holy Spirit, fill me up and lead me this day. Where am I going? We thank you. Come on, church, let's just lift up our hands and give glory to him. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that its promises are true, Lord. And where healing was needed, healing has been given, Lord. And where hurt was given, it's been burned out of us, Lord. And we will not succumb to that attack of the enemy anymore. We have overcome. So, Lord, we give you the glory and honor. And I thank you, Father, that you always fulfill your promises. Even when we are weak, you are strong. And it's through our weakness that we find your grace, Lord. And we thank you, Father. Holy Spirit, move in our lives. Touch our hearts. Transform us into the image that you want us to be. That we can be your hands. We can be your feet. And we can be your mouthpiece, Lord. That we can leave here different than we came, Lord. And that we will live each day for you. We thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your power. And we thank you that we will be all things that you've created us to be. It's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. We will see you Wednesday.